I was thinking this week of the song that we sing often with the children and the adults, with the seniors at the seniors' home. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me. So it's probably the first song that we learned as children. Some of you, I should say, learned as children. For some of us, it was later on, and as we were older, came to know the Lord Jesus. But what has happened at times, I think, it becomes so commonplace that we sing it without even thinking about the meaning of those words. And and I said to myself, try to imagine what this song might mean if you were hearing it for the first time. Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, he's the Son of God, creator of all things, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of the universe, the sustainer of life. If he's all that, why does he love me? Ah, because he created you and he wants to fellowship with you. You and he. Because he really knows you as a person because you are important to him as an individual. Now, you don't really mean that. I mean, I I don't believe he would do that. It's true. The Bible tells us so. The Bible is the word of God. His word will never pass away. It's as real today, as relevant today as it was when it was written. And it says, he loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I was reading about a great theologian, Dr. Karl Barth, known worldwide for his deep study of the scriptures, the Bible. He was asked one day, uh, interviewed in a, in a university setting, and uh, they wanted to test him, sort of. So the question was, what is the greatest discovery you have made in your extensive research? And he quickly answered, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Wow. It's not just a cute little song. It's a fact. It is true. We can claim it for ourselves. How wonderful it is to know that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. How do we know? The Bible tells us so, over and over again. I'm going to ask Pastor Rob Oakham to come now, and uh, he's going to read the scripture and pray. But Rob, I haven't told anything about where you are now, what you're doing. I do know that he... uh, He's hard on his back. Is it the second time you've broken that back? Hard on the back. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Glad to have you. Thanks. Uh, Well, um, this was never real to me. I think of um, I think of Timothy, and I'm preaching through First Timothy. 
right now with the congregation where I pastor in Kingston. It's called Calvary Bible Church, and we've had uh, the joy and the privilege of being there now for into our 12th year. And um, it's been it's been a good time in the Word of God. And I think when I think of coming to Berean, it's kind of um, I don't know if I should say surreal, um, but I, I, of course, your memory's going back to, you know, how you, most of you probably remember me. And, uh, you know, from infancy, from five years old when my parents were saved um, under this ministry, and um, and how we were raised here and and so i think of timothy and i think of how paul says and how from infancy you've learned the scriptures and and when i think of that i think of being in first of all mr stevenson's class and maybe uh maybe eight years old or something i remember him having all the boys over to skate to skate on on some ice he must have lived near something some water and we did that that was that was um, something that i remember i don't remember his teaching um well i do it's it's there you know but i i mean these things are sort of highlights and i remember mr austin and uh, and i remember mr duhame because mr duhame got me in the back room at the brian church that back young people's room that my father had had built and through the witness of men like uh, Chester and Bill Swain and uh, uh, they told him about the Lord and um, they they came over to Brian but um, he, he he got me uh, Rael got me and uh, he had a spirited group of boys but the one thing that I remember, and uh, he, he, he was sort of new, he was sort of new uh, in your life too, right? And, and we had a memory verse contest over several weeks, and it was a big competition against the girls, and there was going to be pizza, I think, for us. And guess who's class one? All those rotten little boys... Uh, Mr. Duhame's boy. So, so I remember things like that. I'm, I'm not here uh, today. You know, those memories are just precious, right? Um, but I'm here today to to point you to Christ, and I'm here today to exalt Him, and I pray that He will be exalted. That's number one and that we'll be humbled. So let's get on with it. I'm going to be reading this morning from 1 John uh, chapter 2. Um, I am reading from the ESD. You may notice a little bit of a difference, but um, it's good. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 6, familiar verses. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. 
and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Thus reads the word of God. Let us come together before his throne of grace in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you for the blessed operation of the Holy Spirit who leads us into the truth. We thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and he tabernacled among us and we have beheld his glory. We thank you that these words are the word of life. We thank you, Father, this day that even as the Apostle Paul said in the Areopagus, in him we live and move and have our being. He's not far from us. And we thank you that you are the true and living God. Our desire this day, Father, is that our Lord and Savior, the champion of our faith, would be exalted. We ask, Father, that our hearts would be humbled. We come into your presence, Father, and we, we are prone to wander. We are at wage, waging war with the flesh. And, and Father, even this day, we pray that you would remove the pride from us, that we would recognize afresh, and even this day, we have sinned. We pray, Father, that we would know what it is to confess our sins. We thank you that you give us your spirit to draw us into the truth, that we may see the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our substitute. He died in our place. We thank you that he is our propitiation, that in himself your wrath was removed. We thank you that he is our surety and our hope. And so we praise you for the great work which you have done even before the foundation of the world, that we should be called out of darkness, that we should be holy and blameless in your sight. Father, we thank you for the strength and the desire that you have given us this day to be found. Together has your people in your presence. We thank you that as living stones, we are being built into a spiritual household. We thank you that Christ is our head, and yet he and the apostles are our foundation. We thank you that we are living stones. And Father, we pray this day that the body, your body, the church, that she would be cleansed by your word, that she would be cleansed to the end, that one day she would be presented into your presence as beautiful, a beautiful bride and faultless. Father, we pray for your people here in this assembly, 
Father, I, I don't know all the names and all the needs, uh, but you know each one. We pray for those who mourn. We pray this day for the McGlade family who mourns and others, Father. We pray that you would, the God of all comfort, that you would presence yourself with this family and with others, and that they would look to you for their comfort. Blessed are those who mourn. Father, we would pray this day for those who are um, discouraged. Discouragement abounds and frustrated. Some would be entangled in sin. We pray, Father, that they would that they would confess their sins afresh and that they would turn to you and find sweet relief. We pray, Father, this day for those who are sick. And, O oh, Father, we pray that you would comfort them with your presence. We ask, Father, that as it befits your purpose and your plan, that you would raise some up and others we would pray, Father, that even as they would walk through the valley of shadow of death, they would fear no evil. Father, our hearts are full of thanksgiving because you are God, and there is none like you. We pray this day that you would fill us with unspeakable joy, again as we see the beauty of a Savior who loves us and who gave himself for us. And we would pray this day, Father, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Again, Rob, welcome. May the Lord bless as you open the word to us. When Mr. Boyd was uh, in his 80s, he started singing a little chorus that we had never heard before. Bigger than all my troubles, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than the biggest mountain. He sang that for several weeks, and I was thinking about that all this week. And then uh, here we are, and then this, I just keep trusting my Lord. I don't think I ever heard that until we had some missionaries. Um, I think they're called the Slaneys. And um, she taught that hymn to the Berean church. I just keep trusting my Lord. Uh, I think it was back then the first time I heard it. And, but uh, anyway, um, all our memories and all of our thoughts are not timeless, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And we want to look at his word today. Um, it doesn't much matter about you or me. We're thankful that the Lord has kept us in the land of the living and we're here today, I'd have you turn in your Bibles with me to Paul's letter to the uh, church at Rome. And um, we're just going to look at a, a little passage, just a, a little verse in, in Romans chapter 3 and verse um, 25 in a minute. Um, when, I, when I spoke um, to Rael... Um, um, in February, I guess it was, um, and he was he was telling me, "I'm I'm just going to start a little series." He said, uh, "But God," 
Did you do that? Good. Um, and 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 I'm just and I'm just in uh, Romans uh, chapter three for the past year on Sunday evenings, and and so um, I thought, well, um, I don't want to serve people stale bread, uh, but but God, and um, and so we're going to look at um, this passage. Um, and it starts off in verse 21. And really, it, it is a but God passage. Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now the Apostle Paul has been speaking up to this point in the book of Romans from chapter 1 to partway through chapter 3. He's been speaking about the human condition. And the human condition is not something that is unique to one or two people. But the human condition is the human condition. We are born in transgressions and sin. And Paul repeats that phrase that you're so familiar with, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, several times in this passage. But he also says something that's quite profound and amazing concerning the human condition, that the human condition was not just unique to the Jewish people, but it was also something that characterized Gentiles also. In chapter 2, he speaks of it. In chapter 1, he speaks of the human condition in terms of God revealing himself to all humanity through his creation and how man has turned to the created things rather than the creator who's to be forever praised. This is not new to any of us, probably, but Paul says something else in that first chapter from verse 18 on. He says, the wrath of God, the wrath of God is being revealed against all the unrighteousness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. And so Paul sets forward a very strong, a very strong case in the beginning of this letter of the human condition and how man is dead in his sin. And not only is man dead in his sin, there's none righteous, not even one. And you know from the Old Testament scriptures that David says that when he was formed in the womb that he was in sin. You know that our representative head, Adam, sin entered the world through one man and therefore all sinned. Paul will say that later on in this book. But the Apostle Paul, he seeks 
to show that as sinners, we are under the wrath of God by nature, by our fallen nature. And that wrath of God is not something that only falls on one or two people. The wrath of God is being revealed against all the unrighteousness and wickedness of men. And so when we come to verse 19 of chapter 3, and I'm, I'm just painting with broad strokes here because we've got to get into this third chapter, but um, verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, chapter 319, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now this is key. Verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being or no flesh will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so what Paul has been doing, I, 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 I see Paul has, as speaking to this congregation in Rome, this this church in the city of Rome, and as he's speaking to this church in Rome, he is he is uh, he is uh, explaining to this congregation how can we be right with God. That's the question. If we're all dead in transgressions and sin, if we're all condemned under the law, and not only that, if the wrath of God is against all our unrighteousness and wickedness, how can we? Be right with God. Here in these uh, uh, statements that that Paul has been making uh, in chapter three, from verse twenty-one to I guess twenty-six, there, there's just there's just uh, statements. There's words that you know from theology. Words like reconciliation and propitiation and and uh, justification. These great theological words. And what Paul is doing is he's just compressing the truth into these terms. But then he's he's unpacking them for us. And so this is really such a magnificent paragraph because it's the first paragraph in the book of Romans where Paul is going to present something that is true and something that can deal with our human condition and how we can be right with God. And that's why that phrase, but God. It's not just God breaking into history through the person of Jesus Christ. It is but God that He has done something before the foundation of this world. It is written about me in the scroll, I've come to do your will, O God. And before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was chosen, and it was as if it was finished in eternity just as we were chosen before the foundation of the world. You're the Bereans. Go home and study First Peter and see the election of Jesus Christ unto salvation. And then see the election of us unto salvation before the foundation of the world. The first point that Paul's making, and I've got to go quickly here, um, the, the the first point that Paul's making is in, in these verses is that, and I'm just giving this to you because we want to get to the point, that, that God presented His Son. 
When we think about the human condition, God presents His Son. It's in those verses that we just read. And the second point is that God presented His Son and as a propitiation of His wrath. And, and two things we can look at when we think of God presenting His Son as a propitiation of God's wrath. The first thing is that God is a God of wrath. And the second thing that we can see is that the cross of Christ propitiated God's wrath against favored sinners. If you look at the passage of Scripture that I read a, a, a minute ago, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may, know, may not sin. But if anyone does sin, well... That's our problem, isn't it? But if anyone does sin, but he's writing to believers, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and then notice what he says. He is the propitiation for our sins. Some translations say he's the atonement for our sins. And the reason that's wrong is because propitiation is not atonement. Atonement is the shedding of blood. And propitiation is the appeasing of God's wrath. So the question is, how do we deal with the human condition? John tells us right here that God's wrath at Jesus Christ, He is the propitiation. He has appeased God's wrath against us. I was happy in the class this morning. I don't know if um, if, if, uh, if Kirk was had had read in the bulletin, and or if if this is just a divine appointment in the scriptures that that everything dovetails between Sunday school and here. But he mentioned that one little fact um, that that uh, uh, he mentioned propitiation, and we always have to remember that propitiation. That Jesus Christ propitiates, and that means that he he appeases God's wrath. He does he does other things. He 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 does that through the sacrifice of his blood, which is atonement. And so here the the sense of propitiation, uh, not only here in in First John, but also in Romans, and that's the only two places that that fifty dollar word is used. But we have to understand it, and it has a very precise meaning. But here is the sense of propitiation is, is in place. And propitiation focuses solely on the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all the unrighteousness and wickedness of men. And so you understand that it does not focus on sin in us being cleansed. That's what... It, it's not being said any word where the word propitiation, anything about that where the word propitiation is used. And the sense of propitiation is in place of the wrath of God. And surely it's more than that. It's demanded by God. God needs to be propitiated. We've just been dealing in our Bible study, well, one of our Bible studies, and I guess it was last fall, um, and I asked the question, uh, um, who does God hate? We, we often hear God, God hates, he hates sin, 
but he loves the sinner. All men are sinners. If you read in the book of Psalms, it says that God hates the wicked continually. You say, wow, I thought God is love. Well, he is love. In this, that he sent his son as atonement for our sins. But the wrath of God is against us. You can't separate the sin from the person. We're steeped in sin. We're born in sin. It's, it's what we call the old nature. And what we need, what you and I need, is we need, we don't need a reformation of our, of our appearance or of our habits or, or of our language, of, or, of anything. We need a transformation of our hearts. God needs to come and He needs to take our hearts that are deceitful and desperately wicked. Yes, hearts of stone and He's the one who does an extraordinary heart transplant and gives us a heart of flesh. And what does that do? That causes us to love Him. That causes the law of God to be written on our hearts. That He gives us His Holy Spirit and we are alive in Christ Jesus. Like, I mean, if you look at, if you look at this, this wrath thing, and if you realize that we are under the wrath of God continually apart from being in Christ, we're in big trouble. Like all us suits here and everybody else are in big trouble. Just like the neighbors here. We're in big trouble. Because the wrath of God is being revealed against all the righteousness and wickedness of men. And, and so really, as, as John says, we need an advocate. Isn't that the language? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And, and you see, we're in the prisoner box. We're born in the prisoner's box. God is judging us. And um, make no mistake, the day of judgment is going to be a terrible day, but in this life, God is judging us. And the standard of judgment is not ourselves. The standard of judgment is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's judging us because he's angry with our sins. But here comes Jesus. Jesus, who is the Christ, the anointed of God. Jesus, he's the righteous one. Paul has just said that, you know, in, earlier in chapter 3, he said, There's none not righteous, no one, not one. Verse 10. He says, he says, no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their path are ruin and misery, in the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
You say, just wait a minute. I was born into a Christian family. I've been pretty good all my life. You've probably been better than me. My parents took me to church. We won't say the word drag. Morning, noon, and night. I sat right over there. Little guy like some of you little guys slobbering on mom's shoulder Sunday night because the day was too long. My parents were good people. They were religious. Community where I live now, people say to me, you know, I never heard your dad ever in his life, and this is way down near Kingston. That's where our families are originally from. And, and, and they say, they know, they know my parents. They know my mother. They know my father. Oh, they, they were good people. They, I never heard your dad ever say, ever say even the most base of a, of a, a swear and they talk about him. He was a good man. Yeah. He was a good man. And you may have the same testimony. You may not even know your, t- your parents, you know, but you're saying, well, I'm here today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. And, uh, and I'm making the effort. And I'm, I'm trying hard. Listen. Apart from being in Christ and being a new creation, we are dead in our sin. And not only that, God's wrath is upon us. But here comes Jesus, the righteous one. There's no sin in Him. was mentioned this morning. I was hoping that the verse would be quoted from Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have such a great priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we have one who is able to sympathize with us, who was tempted at every point like we are, yet was without sin. This is Jesus who is the righteous one. This is God incarnate incarnate in the flesh. This is 100% God and 100% man. This is the one who came into the world. And not only was He the righteous one, He went to the place of the curse to bear the wrath of God in our place so that we might be righteous in Him. And today as we're, we're here, there's many of us here and we don't have that, we don't have that self-justification testimony. Sometimes we fall into it. And you need to repent of that. Sometimes you fall back into the flesh but God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our sins. But you see, He's covered us in His robes of righteousness. And when the Father looks at us, 
when the Father looks at us, it's not just as if we never sinned. We, in Christ Jesus, have never sinned. In position, we are in Christ. We are that new creation. The old has gone. Isn't it fantastic when you think about, when you think about uh, the creation and when you go back to, 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 to Adam and in, in the garden and you go back to his state of innocence and when you consider the Garden of Eden and you, and, and you just think about what's taking place in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we're told that God walked with Adam in the garden. He went to and fro. And then through the, uh, through the uh, Pentateuch, we're told in other places about God walking with Israel, being to and fro. He was present with Israel in the wilderness. And you know all that. You know about the, the cloud and the fire. And you know about the tabernacle. And you know about the temple afterwards. And you know about the glory of God departing from the temple at the time of the exile. And you know about the intertestament period and you know about Jesus who's the Christ and that he came from God and he tabernacled amongst us in other words he was a priest he was a prophet he was a king in the old testament order under the old covenant and he has come to dwell with us he has tabernacled with us and he's a great high priest And Adam is in the garden. And Adam's in the garden and God's walking to and fro. What's Adam doing? He's in the Levitical order of the priesthood predating the Levitical order that he's in God's sanctuary. God brought him and put him in the garden where God was. And he was one who was serving God in the garden. But because of sin... Because of sin, and you know the story, you know what takes place. But listen, Jesus Christ has come. And He's come back to the garden. And He says, He says to those people, He says, He says, destroy this temple, destroy this sanctuary. He's the temple of God now. Destroy this temple, and in three days, in three days, you can tear, I'll tear it down. In three days, it'll be raised up. And what does the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 15 and 16? He says, uh, you yourselves, it's in the, the, the uh, I guess we could just say to make it easy in English, it's, it's like a, 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 double, a double affirmation in the Greek. You has you individually, but you yourselves as the church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if anybody destroys this temple, God Himself will destroy him. This is a holy thing which is taking place here today. And it's not because everything's warm and nice. I like that. And, and we're comfortable, I hope. It's because we are in the sanctuary of God Himself. We are in the holiest of holies. The curtain was torn in two. And we've entered in through a new and living way. That's through Jesus. And the wrath of God is no longer against those who are in Christ Jesus because we are new creations. The old is gone. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child and forever 
I am. You see, He becomes our advocate. He becomes our mediator. He speaks up for us and he delivers us out of sin and death. How can he do this? He does it by the fact that he has made propitiation for our sins. He's appeased the anger of a righteous God himself. He became the curse for us. He became the incorrigible son from Deuteronomy. He became the one who would bear God's wrath that was rightly due to us. He's our substitute. He takes our I always used to I always used to chuckle more probably than now than when I was a kid but he he stood in our room instead I always thought he stood in in our room instead well that's probably right he he took our place he, took, he, he, he not only that he took the blame he took the anger of god and 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 he took not only the anger of god he took the shame of god the guilt and the shame and he took the judgment that we deserve the just wrath of god and the the divine heavenly verdict fell on him you see we've already been condemned for the sins that God arraigns against us. And God's punishment will not demand it again. We're free. We're free. We're not guilty. We're alive. And we're in Christ Jesus. Jehovah Jesus doesn't have to persuade the Father and Mother Mary doesn't have to somehow do some tricks. Nor can she. That's just blasphemy. Jesus has entered into the very presence of God and he pleads his blood, and his righteousness. And we are justified by faith in Christ. And the wrath of God has been appeased in Christ. Isn't that great news? I didn't even get to my sermon this morning. Sorry about that. We'll carry on tonight. But, uh, listen, uh, This is a rotten world. It is. Indeed, we know it, don't we? Because the flesh wages war with the spirit, right? But there is therefore now no condemnation.
condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.